0: Welcome to the Wealthy Money Property Podcast, your ultimate resource to unlocking your inner property guru and building a property investment portfolio. Now introducing your host for the show. Hello, Property Magicians. Welcome to episode 130 of the Property Magicians Podcast. So in today's episode, we are talking to a property investor, but mainly entrepreneur and founder of COP Cafe in Nisenberg, South Africa. His name is Lester Philander. And if you've just joined us, my name is Bangile Makwakwa and I am your host for the show. I help women of color heal ancestral money traumas so they can fall in love with their bank accounts, increase income, and live their best lives. With me is my co-host. Hey, Ben.
1: Sorry, I'm talking to a muted mic. <laughs> hey, <Ben. laughs> hey, Ben, and hey to our listeners haven't seen you in a bit. Um, episode 130 is probably one of my favorite episodes as well. It's about coffee, so I'm very <laughs> excited. I'm very, very, very inspired by this podcast. And um, welcome again to our Property Magician Stockwell members. And those that haven't joined the Stockfell, we are going through a revamp of the Stockfell. Very excited about what we are trying to create here. We'll let you know how it all goes.
0: Yes. So, guys, who? What do we say about today's uh, podcast? Yeah. It is super in-depth. So if you guys have listened to the podcast episodes, I can't remember exactly what episodes um Nigel was in right but Ooh, we've had him on the podcast twice Nigel Adriance, yeah. and he came and he shared about mentoring people and his own per, uh, and his own property journey so Lester is his mentee and Lester has started this incredible incredible business model you know where he basic where you basically buy into a coffee shop franchise and you pay four hundred and fifty thousand rand and then you make uh, to buy the franchise and then you make ten thousand rand a month from this franchise so you guys are gonna just have to listen in as to how this is done, but it is incredible mm.
1: absolutely incredible so. Um listeners, you are in for a retreat of a different kind um commercial real estate is a real deal and how um, the lease um the lease model really can let you um run a business without owning that piece of land or even yeah. owning that piece of restaurant but you can run your whole bi- your whole business and make well above 12,000, uh, 12% um, returns on investment. So this is a very interesting, incredible model, actually.
0: Yep. Definitely. Let's so get without, into it. Without further ado, we give you guys Lester. Yep. Hi, Lester. Welcome to the show.
2: Hi, Vangile. Thank you so, so much for having me. You know, I'm excited to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank
1: yeah, you, Lester. Been... Thanks for coming.
0: It's been a beautiful back and forth <laughs> of, of finding a time and day to have you on the show, so we're grateful. But before we even dive in, can you please tell us who you are as a soul and as a person and then tell us what you do for a living on a day-to-day basis?
2: Okay, cool. So thank you for asking. Um, as most people know, I'm Lester Philander. Um, from the Cape Flats, um, raised mm. by both. So I uh, went to government schools, excelled um, towards my later years in high school in business economics and economics. And I was awarded a bursary to finish my studies in um, business management. After that, I kind of went into the corporate world, but we'll get into more of those details a bit later on. Um, me personally, um, I'm a father of three. Uh, my wife mm. and I are in cape town musenberg more specifically and uh, i'm this person I, I used to do radio so um, <clears throat> these kind of interviews I, I get quite excited about because um i'm used I'm, I'm used to being on the other side of the mic asking the question so it's kind of nice to have <laughs> questions being asked for a change um just <laughs> I worked in corporate for a number of years, and then I realized look, the corporate space is not for me. I had this burning desire to start my own business, and uh, as we all know, Mm. the rest is history.
1: Mm. Wow. Mm. Wow. Mm. That is such a good way of putting it. And and Lester, tell me, So I'm so excited to have you on the show. I can't wait for for our listeners to hear all about it. So when you bought your first house, did you know that you are buying a piece of real estate as an investment or were you buying a roof over your family's head?
2: No, so so I actually started quite early. I mean, the 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 week, in fact, the month I left, there was a new development that erected in the southern part of the Cape Flats. And I thought this would be an easy opportunity for me to enter into the space. I qualified for the FLISP subsidy at that point of there because my salary was in a certain bracket. And uh, when it was approved, we actually got quite excited. This was just over a decade ago. And what had then Thank happened... That same week, I actually put in my resignation. I'm um, not knowing that the company, um, mm-hmm. NetBank, that was financing it, who approved my bond, would actually do a second employment confirmation. And when they did, when they did the second employment confirmation, they actually found that I just resigned to start my own business, and they. are. Look, if you resign and going into a different company, we're getting the same salary. They can still accommodate me, but if I'm doing it to start my own business, the risk is a bit higher. So um. they pull that kind of out of out from under our feet. So that was my first attempt. Oh. And after that, I went into business, and you know, Sorry. as most know, when you go into business, it's 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 an up and, up down, and down, the mm. back and forth sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. You during
1: mm-hmm.
2: You know, you get a, <laughs> a bit of a knock, um, all sorts of obstacles starts coming up against you. So we kind of put our property plans on whole time bit. During that time, my wife or my then girlfriend, now now wife, we, we, we mm-hmm. then got married and we then felt, look, now it's a good time to actually buy our own property. We were by the means at that point. And the first yeah. property, bought was in Musenberg. In fact it was the house that we were renting and the buyers or the owners they were actually looking at sack. So they gave us the okay. first opportunity to do that. Oh, so nice. that is our first property, you know, um so to answer your question sure oh, short okay. was to put a roof over our head <laughs> and okay part of the space that we were staying in because I mean our offices and everything was in the surrounding areas and the kids school and you know the oh, radio station. I see. So oh. you know yeah, so, so we bought the property, not necessarily as an investment because it wasn't cash flow positive because we were staying in mm. it. Mm-hmm. But, um, shortly thereafter, we moved out again to make it cash flow positive.
1: Just hold but, on mm-hmm. a second. Hold on before you move and make it into a business. <laughs> sure you, you, you raised a very important thing that mm-hmm. you were buying the house with a flisp. Just unpack yeah. it again for someone who's listening why yeah. did the FLISP make sense? Which salary bracket were you in? And um mm. just unpack the FLISP for our for our for our listeners,
2: please. Sure. So the FLISP was the initial application we did just over a decade ago. I'm a bit easier on the financial details there. So sure. the, I think I was about six thousand or six thousand somewhere in that bracket, but if memory serves me correctly because I'm also part of this um uh, enterprise development program that develops on tro- that develops property investors, as you guys know. And um, mm-hmm. if you correctly, if your salary is between four thousand and twenty two thousand, you qualify for the sure. first subsidy and sure. they could subsidize up to a certain portion for first time home buyer. So the point of the Flisp subsidy is not to be a property investor, but it's to give people that are looking at getting into the property game or looking at buying or acquiring the first property without having to jump through too much hoops and because it can be an expensive process. So there's just mm. a bit of a for guys that are starting out there for guys that um for first time home buyers and 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 for guys that you know might not qualify to get other sorts of concessions so that is what it's that funny. is for. I tell you
0: all righty wow. yeah that is that is really really interesting so then Lester, you've had this experience and then you decide to get the house so did you then decide to um, move into property um how yeah. did you get a second property how did you then think of i want to do this property investing thing
2: yeah yeah so before I actually joined the property academy that I form part of now, um, my wife and I, we did some of our own research um, through the process. Um, what we then did is the, the place that we were staying in, we did some sums and we asked ourselves, if we rent this property out, would it be flow positive? And we realized just about break even. So if you're looking at our bond compared to what we would get from a rental perspective, that would just about cover the bond installment. So there wouldn't be any extra change and because it's in a security complex there's additional levies that also forms part of your costing so um, we then decided we're going to buy a secondary property but the secondary property was more of an emotional decision than an actual business decision (laughs) in retrospect you can look back and you can actually say look this is our strategy in terms of how we can remedy it and make sure that it can be an investment and not for Mm -hmm. something that's and um What governed our decisions with regard to acquiring the second property was uh, my wife's family was in a bit of a difficult phase at that point, and they needed to get a property. So uh, we saw an opportunity not too far from where they were currently living. Um, The price was right, the space of the land was good, and it just made financial sense for us to buy. So we kind of did it on the basis that, one, we would have an investment that would kind of yield some sort of return over a longer time period, not necessarily a cash flow generating asset in the short term, but what would remedy the What would remedy the kind of situation that we found ourselves in was at least we'd be able to sort our families out with some sort of stable accommodation. That in itself was also a cash advantage because we were constantly paying and helping family out. And, you know, I would go sometimes when uh, people knew as, (laughs) as, as the source and as the solution to some of the problems. So by us kind of getting that property, not only protected us from a asset perspective because now we weren't spending as much money to accommodate and help them out but you know when eventually that problem was sorted we'd still have the asset which we can either use to generate cash flow on a monthly basis or earn some capital gains through appreciation of the property value yeah
1: yeah I like that. I like that. What what has since happened then? Um, did, did it become a
2: business or your primary home became the business? Yep. So, so what I've learned in the course that I'm in is high dense provinces like Cape Town, Johannesburg, PE and Durban. You're allowed to mm. have... Dwellings on one plot, whereas areas of low density, you know, like Umalanga and Bloomfontein and other places like that, uh, places of low density, you're only allowed to have through. you only allowed to have two dwellings on one plot. So what yeah. we're now is we're in the process of converting that specific property, so that we'll get rental income from the front. I mean, our bond on that place, if I can just give you some numbers, our bond I think comes to about six thousand rand per month. The property okay. value was only about. Six hundred and thirty thousand. Um, okay. So yeah, so our bond on that one, and obviously the interest rate uh, took a bit of a hike now, so it, it went up slightly. So it's about six thousand rand, and okay. when we had in there. I mean, we had family dwelling in front and family in the dwelling in the back. So we're getting about. Three and a half thousand in front and two thousand in the back, and because it's family, we contributed something and put something in at the end of each month. So it wasn't cash flow positive, it was cash flow negative. But in the grander scheme of things, we were saving money through that process by not having to give family money every single month because oh, of the- that we've then given them. So it's more of a uh, family dynamic strategy than a business strategy, anyway. Okay. So- the family is a little more stable now that they're moving out and they managed to get their own kind of system going on their end. Um, we're actually in the process of acquiring tenants now um, because what we're going to do is in the front property, we can still get about 5500 according to the rental agent. And then oh the nice. two. Back, um, we there's one dwelling at the moment, but we're going to put a dwelling over there. Um, we're just looking at two options: if we're going to go new tech, um, what does the council bylaw say with regard to that? Or do we go with a brick structure? Um, yeah. Then, then there's obviously a process we need to follow. So we're just doing our due diligence through that process over there. But once everything is up and running, we'll be able to get about five thousand five hundred front, and then oh, wow. three thousand for one of the back units and another $2, okay. five- one studio apartment in the back of the way as well. So if you're looking mm-hmm. at our bond which comes to about 6,000 Rand and if you add your municipal bills, um, your, your um, mm-hmm. what we're doing is we're putting prepaid water meters and prepaid electricity in all of them so we are not liable yes. for those but tenants are then this property, because of the location it's in, it doesn't appreciate in value as quickly because of the area. So but it will become a cash flow. It will become a cash generating asset where it costs us about six, six and a half, seven thousand rand a month maximum, and we're making Mm -hmm. about five rand per month on that asset over there. So every month we'll be making a bit of money on that. Uh, if you compare that other property we have in Musenberg, for example, the Musenberg property won't generate the cash flow that you'd want it to. But when we bought it about a couple of years ago, I think it was about 1.2 million. Um, the last time we checked, it was about 1.35 million. So it increased mm. with 150,000 rand. 150 period. Mm. So The capital appreciation is actually quite nice on that property. Mm. Uh, Whereas the other one doesn't really have the capital appreciation growth, but we can generate the cash flow from there. So it's also to kind of compare the two in terms of Um, what you or what it is you want to achieve from that.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Just to show that every piece of property has got its own potential. Necessarily not everything appreciates. But it's so good. Yeah. And actually Oh, sorry, Misa, I you, are you can well. continue. Yeah, no, I'm done. Ben, go
0: ahead. Go ahead. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I was going to say, I what I'm appreciating about what Lester is saying is that sometimes the decisions that we make, especially as people who are coming from and uh, from backgrounds where we don't have, we're not trust fund babies, right? And yep. our families are relying on us, so sometimes the decisions that we make will not always be financially driven. You know, mm. we'll have to find a balance between how do we help the ones that we love, and how do we also balance the cash-making uh, investment decisions. And I find that is the biggest issue, right? Is that for most of us, it's that is the big uh, that is the problem. Is that How do you give to family in a way that is sustainable, but Mm. that also doesn't um, cause issues in terms of your, Mm. doesn't cripple your journey as an investor? So I I really, really, really love this, you know, Mm. um, about how you did this and now you're still going to benefit at a later date so this is such a great example of that That not every Mm. business decision will all is driven purely by the numbers sometimes we are human there is the human element and this is so so important yep
2: absolutely thank you
0: (laughs) so um Lister, I wanted to ask, so then, how do you then um, move from I'm doing this in property, I'm having these conversations to what you're doing now, and maybe you can talk a little about what you're doing with Cop Cafe and yep. um, the real estate deals that you're making in there, like the lease agreements. Can you tell us a little about how you came to start Cop Cafe?
2: Sure. so. Before before I I, I kind of move over to Corp Cafe, um, what my wife and I decided to do is from the property companies, or from the properties that we have, we're rather gonna kind of put that into a company where she then manages that process because she is a more patient, conservative, and someone that looks <laughs> long term. Where I'm a little more impatient, so um, mm-hmm. I, I'm more of an entrepreneur than I am a property investor. So from a yeah. business. perspective, uh, I've been involved in a number of different businesses over the years. The first company I thought was actually a candle manufacturing business, and we supplied candles to restaurants and mm. coffee shops. And okay. I went to, to some of these spaces, and I, I told myself, man, I wouldn't mind owning my, my own coffee shop. And in mm. 2017, I think it was, um, I then moved over into the business development and business consulting space. I then okay. finished my small enterprise consulting, and I decided, look, I'm going to go help some of the guys that need some help because the business owners that need the, the most amount of help and resources are the guys that generally can't afford business advisors and business coaches. So I then that I'm going to go in at a subsidized rate. I start incubators so that I can help these SMMEs. And the one SMME I came across was an elderly gentleman that was running a community-based Shop and he had no idea what he was doing. He asked for (laughs) help. I looked at his marketing, I looked at his processes, I looked at his structures, I looked at what his goal was with regard to achieving the goal in business. And eventually, I've kind of helped him to a point where he got to a point where he said, You know what, Lester, why don't you take over this coffee shop? You can pay me over a two year period as the business makes money, you can then pay me back. And um, I, I, I jumped at the opportunity. Look, that wasn't the intention of why we started the process, but the opportunity presented itself and I would have been foolish to say no. And that was the first coffee shop I owned. It was out in the Rondebosch area. And um, I ran that oh, coffee shop. Straight into no the- time. That's okay. And um, It's it's always easier to look at things from an outside perspective in thinking I can do that quite easily. And by the time <laughs> you give them to do it, you don't always know what you are doing. It's like watching a soccer match and you're the loudest spectator and shouting at the guys saying you should <laughs> be doing it. Should it. And by the time you actually boot up and you actually get the field, you realize it's a very different ball game from this mm-hmm. side of the so that.
0: Yeah.
2: But being on that side, you know, I mean, um, one of the statements I made earlier on is sometimes you win and sometimes you learn. And um. every. I had some sort of lesson attached to that. We don't always see it at the time, but I decided, Look, I'm going to go back into the business development space because it's a space I know quite well. It's a space that made a bit of money for me. So, when going back into that space, this nudge to go back into the coffee shop game constantly mm. tugged me. At the Lester, this is where you need to be. I then opened up a second coffee shop, and that one actually did phenomenally well from, from the very first month. Unfortunately, it okay. was with our landlords who subletted the place to us which they were not allowed to do which we weren't made aware of so we unfortunately had to close after spending six figures worth of capital to get it to where it was so obviously that obviously took a a massive blow um, and we had to recover a bit financially but then I decided um, it's COVID the pandemic is on us and lots of coffee shops are closing and um, Mm -hmm. there's a (laughs) a gap. People need a place where they can go, where they can order a cappuccino, where they can have a muffin, where they can sit and chill, have a social. Sure. And I saw an opportunity to kind of go in there because I had a bit of capital at my disposal from the businesses that I was running at that time. And I said, okay. yeah, maybe the best time. And I developed this concept called rent my restaurant. And there's so many oh, people. That-
1: okay. Yes.
2: And these people always asked me, Lester, how do I start my coffee shop? How do I start mm. my own business? I said, what if I set it up for you and you pay me a certain fee every single month and after two years, you own it upright? And so many people came knocking on our doors and said, listen, I would love this opportunity. So what I did is, yeah. So I set up one coffee shop out in Musenburg and um, this shop, I think it cost me about 80,000 rand to kind of set up with all the fittings and everything that needed to be done. So it wasn't an astronomical amount of money. And then I got that was you know, a foodie, if you will, to come in there, give it its own name, give it its own, uh, give it its own identity, give it its own theme, and he would then pay me 10,000 Rand every single month, and after two years, he would then own the asset outright, so it was mutually beneficial because one, there was no capital that they needed to pay, and two, um, over a two-year period, I would have made two or three times back what I then put in, so for me, it was a nice investment. After the first year, I realized I didn't want to stop earning that 10,000 Rand. So for me to add additional value, it cannot just be based on the assets that is in the shop. You need to create a system where people will start insisting on your brand, on your coffee, on going to your Mm. store Mm. as opposed Mm. to other competitors that are in the market. So for that, we needed to establish a brand. And when it comes to branding, we need to ask ourselves the question, you know, who is it that we are looking at attracting? Why would they come to us? And we yeah. need to remember that there are more coffee shops in Cape Town per capita than there are in New York. So if you don't have a strong No way. Shop,
0: I can yeah? know this. I can believe that. Yeah, <laughs> I can see that. Like having lived, having been in both cities… I haven't Mm. lived I lived in Boston, but not New York. I was in New York a lot, but I can see that. Cape Town is amazing for us.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. So so we needed to develop a clear value proposition. We needed to ask ourselves why would people come to Corp Cafe as opposed Mm. to some offering something Mm. similar. And uh, once we clearly defined what the value proposition was, we were then able to kind of put a franchise agreement in place or SLA in place and kind of structure it in such a way that we'd be collecting royalties on a monthly basis. We'd be positioning the brand strategically so that people would actually benefit from the equity in the brand that we've Mm. created and make Mm. them while they're paying us our royalty on a monthly basis. So since then... Yeah, we, we, we now have 10 coffee shops operating nationwide. We, have, we wow. have a place to set up 20 more for 2023. So um, there's a mammoth task that lies ahead, but it's exciting things. I mean, this is the really? creative phase of the really? business, if i completely honest with you. Um, after the creative phase comes the management and systematics phase, and that cause the everything out of me. I mean, I'm a creative. I'm a supply. <laughs> I love branding, people, and systems, yeah. accounting, operations, <laughs> all those things. That is what our partners are there for. That is what they can do yeah. well.
1: <laughs> so let's st- let me co- let me take you back a bit. Are you saying when I buy into this franchise, you have sorted the piece of real estate? Where my coffee shop is going to be set up or do I go out and find the coffee shop and then you come come in, you set up the system just like I'm, I'm buying into a franchise.
2: Yeah. So it's similar to that. The only difference is we don't own the property in which the coffee shop is kind of set up just yet. So it's mm-hmm. on a basic okay. lease agreement for the time being. But the latest strategy, and we call this phase five of the project, because whenever you run a business, you do it in phases. And sometimes um, I'm often accused of thinking too far ahead and I lose track mm. of the strategy that needs to be done in front of us right now so what we do as a business and how we structured our model is when someone buys a franchise it's a turnkey solution we do the market research we identify what is a good location and not Mm. only that we manage the store on behalf of the franchisee so that way there's no ambiguity with regard to why the stores aren't doing well why it's not making the kind of targets it's supposed to be making because if you are running your own store and it's under our brand and it doesn't do as well as it's, uh, it doesn't do as well as it's yeah. supposed to do there are just too many moving parts with regard to accountability you know is it your fault is right. it our fault? Did you not do our job as uh, the brand ambassadors of the store or was it your operational team or was it your management team that didn't do what they were supposed to be doing so it's okay. it's, it's all of those things that we need to look at so we just felt it would have been a much easier process if we manage it and we take full responsibility and full accountability if anything goes wrong and if anything goes wrong there's the various processes and steps that we can embark on to ensure that we can either get it right or transplant the store or do what needs to be done whether it be putting the store on performance review, et cetera, et cetera. The bigger bigger Mm -hmm. plan, um, and obviously we can't do this with all of the sites, is to actually acquire the property um, where we are currently leasing it from. Now, our property mentors has actually shared some of the services that some of the banks offer, um, more specifically APSA. Um, APSA has this process, and Mm -hmm. I speak under correction, so I would rather just advise that you (laughs) double-check Yeah. Because, you know, there's such a lot of banks doing such a lot of different services and they change constantly. So I don't want to uh, be be held liable for what I'm saying, you know. But I believe that upstairs, um, that when you have two cash flow positive properties and you're going into this space um, where yes. you have lease and the lease is let's say covering the bond installment, if you had to own the property, the process becomes 15 times easier to acquire that land as opposed to doing it from scratch if you're a first-time commercial real estate buyer. So I know Absa is the only one of the major banks that is offering that service at the moment. And that is something that we're looking at tapping into. Of course, we're not in a hurry to do that just yet because that becomes a completely different business. It becomes a completely different strategy and we don't Mm. want to spread ourselves too thin and, you know, get too fancy too early. We want to focus on the basics and the brand is only two years old. So we're still in the acquiring phase of the brand in terms of building, identifying, you know, its key points and what it is we can really offer as opposed to that of our competitors. So we want to take the process a bit slower so that, you know, we can lay a stronger foundation. Mm.
1: Okay. I love this. Wow. I really love this because... You've given us a lesson in, 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 in commercial commercial real estate and what property can go, how our property can go in all sorts of directions, as long as you yep. know what you are doing. Mm-hmm. So as a property, as this coffee shop owner, I buy a 10p solution totally. My mm-hmm. role is just to come and run it um, according to the system of COP Cafe.
2: Not even. So we will manage that for you. So Head Office implemented the system called WOMT H O O M T that stands for Head mm. Office Operations and Management Team. So now you mm. buy a coffee shop and the coffee shop will cost you between 450,000 and 60,0, 000, depending on a couple sure. of variables. So you will then buy a franchise head office will manage that franchise for you and then pay you a guaranteed minimum fee at the end of each month. And the reason there's a guaranteed minimum fee in place is because of a specific strategy that we are following. But um, if we don't follow that particular strategy, because there's always more than one solution that we offer to our potential clients. So if it's the, con- if it's the conventional retail-based coffee shop that you find in a street corner or that you find in a mall, um, we then manage the store for you and we will pay you 50% of the profit that that store makes. The reason we only pay 50% of that is because you don't want to starve the company of its cash flow. So if you're... Profit. If, the, if your profit at the end of each month is about $50,000, we will pay you 25000 but the other $25,000 is in the account that is still your money, we suggest that you leave it in the account until the end of the financial year. Then you can decide if you want to declare a dividend, and you can take all the monies that have been accrued over the past 12 months and take that out. But remember, you know, it's still your business, even though we are managing and running it for you, you still have the right to take all the money out from day one. We just wouldn't recommend it because it's not good business practice. And also a lot of businesses, they struggle because the the business owner goes still dipping too early. So this model kind of enforces a level of discipline and accountability so that the business can outlast you and potentially your kids as well. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay. So I really, really love this, Lester. So I'm just going to backtrack and say, okay, so if as a restaurant owner, I'm not even managing the coffee shop. I don't own the, I don't have a lease agreement under my name. I basically, what am I bringing then? What is the point of having me as the restaurant owner? Because yep. the fixtures, the lease agreement, everything is under you guys name, right? Yep. Correct. And then you don't, uh, and even management is taken care of by you guys. What a, what is, why am I there as the restaurant owner?
2: Yeah, so it's a twofold answer, and the first one is. Uh, with us managing it for you remember it's a franchise so the level of consistency needs to be there the experience you have in musenberg must be the exact same experience you have in greenpoint and that must be the same experience you have as far as johannesburg where we open up over there as well so we need to control that we had an instance um, about a year and a half ago where a franchisee that was running their own store uh, they offered the coffees and they kind of made their own donut that they offered with that coffees. Now don't get me wrong, it was a delicious donut but they didn't bring that to our attention. So when a customer went into that store, they had the coffee, they had the donut, they enjoyed that, they went to another Corp Cafe store and the Mm -hmm. second Corp Cafe store didn't offer the donut. So the customer felt that there's a high level of inconsistency here. I mean, I'm going into the same brand, I'm going into the same coffee shop, even though it's a different location, I'm expecting the same or at least 80% of the same service. You know, It's never going to be 100% carbon copy because in Cape Town, the culture in the northern suburbs is the first of the culture in the southern suburbs, and that differs to the, the culture on the west coast. So franchises generally has this 80-20 rule where 80% comes from the head office based on research that was conducted and the other 20% leaves the franchisees to a level of flexibility based on their, um, even the international franchises do it. I mean, if you go to a KFC in London and you order streetwise too, you actually get a portion of baked beans with that because baked beans isn't a staple in the English diet whereas in South Africa there's also the option to buy a chakalaka and pop with the streetwise so um, they cater to the local flavor there as well so you need to be cognizant of that but with regard to where your role is I mean um, one we're doing it so that we can control the consistency and ensure the profitability mm-hmm. so that, that way there's no ambiguity with regard to why the store is underperforming or why the store is overperforming. There's a clear guideline with regard to who is doing what and there's clear accountability. The second part is we, we're now at a point where people buy this model and we can actually charge them a premium for that as I mentioned between $450,000 and 600000 So mm-hmm. there's a bit of monies but remember where we really make our monies as head office is by collecting the royalties. So part of that mm. royalty also forms part of a management fee. So after all of the costs, because our royalties are worked into the costs, we then pay out 50% of your profit. What's nice about that from a, from a franchisee perspective is you might not know this industry, but you want to get involved in it. That way it gives you the freedom to Get involved, but not get your hands as that. You don't have to upskill yourself in making coffees, food prep, Mm. occupational health and safety. Um, It'll be good and advantageous for you to know those things, but you're not mandated to now uh, really upskill yourself from doing all of the things that you need to be doing. Also, If we're just looking at the minimum payout that we give you on a monthly basis, let's just use 10,000 Rand as an example. So if we pay you 10,000 Rand every single month, which is what we've done now for a lot of our franchisees that has come on board, they buy a store for 450,000. We pay them 10,000 Rand per month. Now, their profit is usually about 20,000, sometimes 30,000. That extra 20,000 that stays in the company's account. And at the end of the financial year, they can draw that money out as a dividend. But the 10,000 is what we pay them on a monthly basis. So if you're just looking at that 10,000 for a second, if you're just doing the comparatives between the input and the output, your input is 450,000 once off. Your output is 10,000 Rand per month. That is a 24% yield per annum. So if you compare that to let's say property or a stock portfolio mean a good property yields about 10% per annum but over the past 6 or 7 years it's only yielded about 6 or 7%. Um a good stock portfolio usually yields between 11 to 12%. This was a 24% yield based on the guaranteed 10,000 rand that you get on a monthly basis. Let me use a more yeah, practical yeah. example. When we moved out of our place in Musenberg, I mean we bought the house yeah. for one two million. We had a tenant in there and the tenant only paid 10,000 rand per month. Now, if you're just looking at 1.2 million input with mm-hmm. a 10,000 Rand output on a monthly basis, and that is full of property, that now you're looking 12. at the franchise. So now you're looking at the franchise, that's 450,000, which is basically a third of the input, and we pay 10,000 rand per month, which is the same output, and an additional bonus at the end of the financial year in accrued profits, We're just doing that comparison, and then you can see how it is a really good model for franchisees to kind of buy. So one, you don't get to manage the store yourself, so if you have your own business that needs your attention, or if you retired and you want to enjoy your leisure time, or if you're still working full-time and you're seeing this as an additional stream of income, you then have the freedom to benefit from both worlds. So that is what Mm -hmm. sold us compared to that of our competitors. That is the one thing that has kind of put us ahead.
1: I have two questions about (laughs) this. (laughs) I have questions about this. This is is both exciting and, and it induces apprehension in my body. So... (laughs) <laughs> so, so let's say now I want a cop cafe in my area, and yeah. um, um, in my area in Constantia, and um, mm-hmm. you have uh, wh- where would I get uh, four hundred and fifty thousand from Leicester? Hey, hey. Are these franchises? Um, am I able to finance a franchise like that? That's my. First question. Yep. My second question is the transparency level with the head office to when yep. when I have bought Cup Co- Cafe Constantia now. Cup Co- Cafe yep. Constantia is known that it is owned by Miranda. Mm. How do I how do I ensure that I I I I know what's going on financially in this in, yep. in my franchise? Yeah. Yeah. So
2: those are both good questions. So I'll answer your first question with regard to franchise or finance acquisition. Um, A lot of our franchisees based on the price, um, they can actually afford to raise the money or get it on their own. Um, In some cases, banks would contribute up to 50% of the capital purchase. Um, But that also depends on a variety of different things. They look at how established the brand is, they look at the existing brand performances, and they also look at your own personal risk associated to you. Uh, What kind of experience, Experience you have in the sector. Um, I did find that there's one bank, and I'm not going to mention them. um, They actually said that they will not finance this franchise because the or the, the franchisee is not managing it themselves, which was a little bit odd for us because, you know, with the franchisors managing the franchise on behalf of the franchisee, you would think that the risk is slightly more mitigated. Uh, but I feel that well, they might feel that, you know, it might be a bit too risky in terms of their metrics and their models over there. So when it comes to financing your franchise, um, if you get the money via a loan, if you get the money from a friend or a family member, or if you pick up 450000 along the side of the road. us, it doesn't really matter as long as of course um, there is proof of origin, um, which I think is a standard requirement now. Um, I think even when you go to a car dealership and you buy a vehicle cash, um, they are legally mandated to ask you where does the money come from to ensure that there's no fishy business or anything like that over there. So that is just the one thing that we will put in place with regard to where do the funds actually come from. As long as the funds come from a good source, then we are happy to sell it. The second question you have is from a transparent Perspective and more and more companies have been developed to kind of help franchisees and this industry look at that because a lot of times when you see coffee shops and restaurants, you you don't often see the owners of those businesses in the stores. I mean, if you're looking at them, the big franchise matter. like the, the McDonald's and the Steers yeah. and the KFCs, for example, a lot of the guys that have a franchise there, they own five or six yeah. or sometimes multiple of these franchises. So they need to put proper systems in place to ensure that things run smoothly when they are not there. I mean, even in our case over here, it's very easy to manage one coffee shop because you know the customers, it's personality-driven industry, you know your staff by first mm-hmm. name. But when you have 10 stores, you have to be more reliant on a system that can give you accurate, real-time information. So, on the one hand, you have access to the cameras that are in the store. But the most important tool that you will have is a POS system, which is our point-of-sale system. So, the point-of-sale system allows you at any given time to go into the system, see exactly what your stores are making. And you can also look at the relationship between card sales, cash sales, what items are being bought, what items are low, who our suppliers are, what our cost prices are, what our margins are, what kind of numbers you are making from that over there. So from a transparency perspective, Um, We are more systems relying based on the amount of stores that we have based at the rapid rate at which we are growing. And although these systems cost quite a bit of money, it's important to have them in place because if you don't have them and things fall apart, it makes it very difficult from an accounting perspective, from an operations perspective to pinpoint exactly where the fault lies. So POS systems, there are big ones out in the industry. Some of them cost up to 4,000 rand per month per store. Um, We don't use the ultra expensive ones because so I don't think we, yeah, we, we need to spend those amounts of money, but we have a good enough POS system in place to ensure that you can track any sort of transaction from the conception of your business uh, right up until 15 minutes ago when the stores closed.
0: Okay. So, wow, this is intriguing. So, I then have a question following off of that, right? So, let's go back to the money that you're keeping. Right. So you take you the franchisee, <clears throat> two questions on that, sorry. The franchisee as part, I guess because they're not involved in the day-to-day running, they are not being paid a salary. They're just being paid the 10,000 rand a month. That's their sure. return on investment. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, and then the 20,000 rand, what happens with it? Are you guys reinvesting it in something? Does the franchisee have a say to say, this is part of the profit that's coming from my store. Can yep. I then decide how I invest it? Is there a conversation on that? Is that being reinvested into another shop, for example, at a later date? Because if I'm doing the calculations, that's 240,000 rand a year that's being yep. held mm-hmm. back. So after two years, that's another $240,000, that's, 240, uh, that's 480000 Can they then have that to start another shop? Do they have absolutely. that option to say, please, can we have a conversation about putting that money into another shop so that I can start to have a second shop?
2: Oh, no, and absolutely. are you guys
0: transparent about those fees? Do they each have a separate bank account that they can check that the money is definitely there piling up?
2: How does that yeah. work? So with regard to each bank account, so each franchise has its own bank account and there's a shared oh, yeah. facility where the franchisor as well as the franchisee has access to that account. Remember, mm. you as a franchisee, you are a natural person. Head office yeah. is a juristic person and the franchise, which is the store is a third party, which is also a juristic person. So that has a legal entity that has a business registration number and everything like that. So that has its own bank account. What we do with those monies is those monies goes into the account on a monthly basis and it's used for the necessary month-to-month kind of operational transactions like buying the stock, paying staff, paying rental, et cetera, et cetera. And what's left is usually a 30,000 rand surplus of which 10,000 goes to you and the other 20,000 stays in that account, right? Obviously this differs based on store to store and based on how long the brand has been around or based on how long the store has been around. Obviously, the longer it's been there, the more that accrued Profit will then be. With regard to that, we don't have, or maybe we do, but we don't have the rights to reinvest those monies just yet. It's not our monies to invest. Also, that is an entirely different business process. So I'm not a fund manager or an investment manager. Mm-hmm. and I must make a foolish decision with regard to investing that into a volatile or a high-risk investment that I think is lucrative and I lose those monies. I'm then liable for that. So, mm-hmm someone actually told us that we are sitting in an opportunity where those monies has to make monies for us but mm-hmm. because that is not who we are that is not our skill set I mean we are coffee shop entrepreneurs we are not fund managers we are not investment managers if however the franchisee feels that listen um, instead of keeping that in the business account where you know it is losing its value if we can then take that out every third month or every quarter so we're taking a quarterly dividend obviously with that you have to be compliant with regard to the receiver of revenue as well. So there's dividend tax that you pay and all those sorts of things like that as well, which has to be taken into account. And you decide that you want to reinvest those monies. um, Obviously, you have the choice before tax or after tax with regard to how you want to structure investment and they obviously have its own consequences and that is your choice remember this is still ultimately your business we're selling you the rights to trade under our name but it is your Mm. business so when you buy a corp cafe franchise and you want to call it uh, van pty limited trading as corp cafe you have the right to do that it means that it's your company you have the rights to the monies that is in that company and if you want to do whatever it is you want to do with those monies that is entirely up to you so from a banking perspective perspective that is your choice you know um sorry there was a second question but i i, I seem to have forgotten what the second question was <laughs> no
0: it's basically it was the first question you answered which was about the salary so that's yeah. very fascinating Miso, sorry, can yeah, i yeah. ask?
2: I, I actually yeah. remembered now so so the second one was um if the accrued profit comes to 480000 at the end of the second year, can you then use that to buy another franchise? Absolutely. So we actually went one step further because a lot of our existing franchises, they're kind of happy because they're getting their monies on a monthly basis. And by the time they're ready, um, not only are they eligible to buy another franchise but we kind of keep it at the same price at which it was when they bought it now being a brand in its infancy um, i mean if you're just looking at the way we started it started with giving the franchises away for free but then we got to a point where we're selling it for 225 000 rand and then we got to a point where we're now selling it for 450 000 rand and the reason we had to increase the price so rapidly was because when you're offering a asset of value And you're offering it at a really low price. It's like selling a Mercedes Benz for 25,000 Rand. The first question people's going to ask what's wrong with the engine? You know, is the quality of superior excellence? And so we needed to make sure that the asking price met the quality that we are kind of presenting so what we did to sweeten the deal for our existing franchisees is if you bought the franchise at four hundred and fifty thousand, and after two years the price of the franchise now jumped to seven hundred thousand, you still have the option of buying it at four hundred um, and fifty thousand. obviously the certainties and c's that applies to that but uh, we need to look after our day ones <laughs>
0: yes yes no this is awesome. I think it's really, really great. So um, I'm going to just ask one more question if Misa will let me. Misa, are you there? Okay. I don't hear her. So I'm going to go ahead, Lester. And just say, um, um, I just wanted to know now the strategy that you guys are moving in the direction. Oh, Misa's having network issues. Sorry, guys. So um, the strategy that you are in right now is that as you guys are moving forward, you have this vision that you would like to own the properties, yeah. right? That COP Cafe is uh, that Carp Cafe operates from. So before we even talk about what that strategy looks like, can you please tell us? Do you have any particular clause in your lease agreement that will allow you to then become a property owner in any of the, with any of these cafes?
2: Yeah. So not as yet, because when the French or when the when the property owners or the property management company, when they're offering a lease, they often don't do it with the intention to sell. That is usually a later conversation when a bit of trust has been established and when we've built a strong enough relationship with them. And we're now saying, listen, we'd like to take this thing off your hands because it kind of complements our business strategy and our business model. Also, if you're looking at the locations, as mentioned, I mean, it would work for some, but it won't work for others. I mean, we had this beautiful location out in the southern suburbs at one stage where the property itself, it was a multi zone property where on the ground floor you have commercial and from the second and the first floor up you have residential so you have people staying on the upper floors and downstairs is used mm. for commercial reasons over there so the multi zone also adds to that because you know it's a little bit outside of our league in comfort zone with regard to what it is we can do but eventually when we get to a point where you know um, we own the land when we're looking at guys that are saying look um, it's working for me now but A lot of where or a lot of the places that we are established in, it's either little shopping centers where there's more than one outlet and it's not owned by one particular person, but it's owned by a trust or it's owned by this. Uh, They tend to not kind of think that far ahead. So it's not the ultimate strategy in terms of what it is we are looking at doing. We also have some international strategies that we want to focus our time on. But when we get to phase four and phase five, we want to look at, Is the financial viability there for us to own the land? Because if you own the land, you're not just making money on the royalties, but you're also making money on the rentals, which is the strategy McDonald's followed. Now, if you're looking at their strategy, they obviously own the physical land because a lot of the time it's in parking lots and a lot of the time it's in um, plots where there's not other stores attached to that so that makes it a bit easier whereas in our case there's five or six or 15 other shops attached to that same building mm-hmm. so the answer to your question in short um Where we are now, we're not looking at implementing that strategy just yet. So it's just a plain, simple lease agreement where the landlord says, this is what we are offering, this is a square meter each, this is a price per square meter, and this is what is due in terms of additional levies and things like that. So, um, yeah, that will be a strategy for phase four and for phase five.
0: Okay. So for the sake of our listeners, do you mind explaining – how McDonald's is making money just by owning the land and how yep. that then benefits the business because most people know McDonald's, don't know that McDonald's makes most of its money on real estate versus yep. flipping burgers.
2: 100%. So, interesting fact is, McDonald's is the second largest landowner in the world, just after the Roman Catholic Church. So, the reason for that. They own the land on which their burgers are being fried. Now, it's not every single property that they own. I don't think it's possible, but um, if you're just looking at the model, yes, they make money from, uh, from a royalties from um, a royalties. They also make money in some of the corporate stores that they have. So the sales from those stores that they own, they get the revenue on that, and then um, the. Franchisee also needs to pay the rental. So they then get the rental for that as well. In terms of back office structuring with regard to managing that, I don't know how they do that just yet. I'm sure that that is not the deeper secrets that they will share with um, with the average bloke like me but i would encourage um, your listeners to actually watch the movie founder i think it's based on Ray Kroc's story about mcdonald's and how we went about doing it and um, what i also loved about mcdonald's is the systems that they put in place with regard to how quick they're able to make that burger the the, the speed and the pace at which it's at and then i also recommend that they watch a a A case study based on how Starbucks initially failed in South Africa, and they use a beautiful comparison with McDonald's and how McDonald's seemed to have gotten right compared to Starbucks. I mean, if you look at McDonald's in different parts of the world, McDonald's is not the cheap, fast takeaway model as it is in South Africa. I mean, if you're looking at McDonald's in Switzerland, for example, a Big Mac meal, costs in excess of 300 Rand if you're converting it. And I speak under correction because one of our franchisees is from um, Switzerland. So they've actually explained to us that in Europe, I mean, it's not the cheap fast food outlet that that we've kind of gotten to know here in South Africa, but, when they came into South Africa, I think it was in 1994, they needed to look at a different pricing model to ensure that they can resonate with the masses so that they can make the kind of turnovers based on their volumes that um, we've now come to know. Sorry, I know I rambled on a bit over there and I've kind of given different things in different spectrums. No, but it's perfect. When you, when, you, when you watch those two things, um, it will make perfect sense because they go into a lot more detail than I'm kind of going into right now
0: wow wow so my next question and i think it may be my second last question is to say how have you guys expanded so far when did you start and where are you right now how many franchises do you uh, how many franchisees do you have under you at the moment
2: okay so at the moment we we'll- before I get to at the moment, I'll, I'll start with about two years ago when we started our first store. So mm-hmm. we had a number of stores that we've had to close down as well, which all formed part of the pivoting process. You know, So mm-hmm. it's a trial and error. You think that one location is going to be a brilliant location and you 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 roll it out, you set it up and it only makes 500 grand a day. You ask yourself, I mean, this is on the main road, it's high visibility, there's not a lot of competition around, good foot traffic. Why are we not making it? So all of those kind of mistakes you learn from along the way. And that is when you develop a very clear metric with regard to what is a good location, what is not a good location. Um, And so we've managed to set up um, by Feb this year, the beginning of this year, we had about two stores. Um, Mm -hmm. Then with... Within a six-month period, we opened up eight more stores, and wow. uh, the reason the reason we could kind of expand so quickly is because the first year and a half we kind of pivoted and we're trying to look at what works, what doesn't work, what is a good location, what is the best items to have at the menu, what is our good selling point, how do we position it from a marketing perspective, and when we had our foundation then it became a lot easier because then we were able to set up six stores in six months or sorry, eight stores within six months. And now next year, we need to literally, based on the contract that we have in place, we need to set up Two stores every single month, and that is on a nationwide scale. <laughs> so, um, wow. but because the foundation has been properly put in place, it allows us to go expansive, it allows us to go wide, and because we have the formula in place, and you know, formula, you know, it's 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 usually um, a process where everybody knows what they need to do and when they need to do it, and because we now have that formula in place, it, it makes the process a lot easier. And um, to set up twenty stores in one year based on what we have now, would actually be easier than setting up two stores in one year when you don't have the formula.
0: Yep, I agree. It's all about, I mean, knowledge is power, right? That's what everyone says. It's like...
2: I think Warren Buffett also said it quite beautifully. He said, a fool with a plan stands a higher chance of success than a genius without a plan.
0: Yep, yep. (laughs) (laughs) I love
1: that. I love that. Sorry about that. I had network issues. Mm, this is so interesting because someone was trying to explain to me why <clears throat> when when you're starting out in a business, actually your best bet is to buy into a franchise. I was telling them that um, when I first graduated, I a group of us wanted to buy into a franchise, but man all those restrictions about even the Soviet has to be bought from the franchise Mm. or from the franchiser. But he was explaining to me that it is actually a wealth model. You should think about it because um, when you don't know, it's better for someone to bring you a system. You have got less chance of failure and you have, almost guaranteed um, guaranteed success because of the brand the brand is already set up and I was listening yeah. very intently because wealth creation is very important to us. but mm-hmm. Lester, oh, this is so educative. I didn't I didn't know we are coming for a commercial um, commercial oh uh, podcast real estate <laughs> podcast I, lo- I really really love that yeah. and I'm a coffee snob. So good. I am, <laughs> I'm a coffee, star. oh my God, you can't give me a coffee, sorry. sorry.
2: Oh no, re-coffee.
1: please. <laughs> <laughs> you <can>. guys, <gasps> so this is very exciting for me. I'd love to hear more of this. So from a franchisee point of view, Lester, all I need, are you saying all I need is to raise that capital and fold my arms and I can get, get into my car and go to my corporate job is that what Absolutely. you're saying what That's else exactly do i need to be what is the other mindset that i need what is it i just need to be trusting i i'm, I'm feeling all rattled
2: right now Look, what we do is what we do is we also try to position your coffee shop physically as close to you as possible. Now, some of our mm-hmm. franchisees they like being a little more involved. They like popping in at their stores from time to time to make sure that it's running smoothly. And then you get some franchisees they literally they, they don't care if we set up a coffee shop in Cairo or in the <laughs> Netherlands as long as they're getting their monies on a monthly basis. And then some yeah, of them they know that that is their store, but their staff don't actually know that they are the owners or. They they are the franchisees. Mm. So what they then do is they act as a mystery shopper and they go into the stores <laughs> from time to time and they kind of look at okay. what works, what doesn't work. They look at, um, but then they also, then they're also guys. Um, one of our partners started this investment consortium where um, they, Put a small amount similar to a stock model where they put a small amount into a bigger group and they buy multiple coffee shops with that. So instead of owning one store outright, they have the option of owning a piece of five or six different stores. So that way, oh, they split risk. Hello. Good. hello. <laughs> 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 so that way, they split the risk. And also, as
0: can, our stock yeah. members listen to this
2: podcast, oh, yeah. But I mean, that's the, best way to, that's the best way to go, you know, because I mean, the model kind of lends itself to exactly that because you're not managing it yourself. It doesn't really matter where the right. store is. Right. So, Yeah, uh, it kind of fits in with regard to that. But also, I mean, for someone like me that's a business advisor, when I meet with someone, it kind of increases your street cred, if I'm I'm quite honest with you. (laughs) And when you're having a consultation with someone in one of the coffee shops that you own, it changes the conversation. You know, especially if this is a potential client that wants to understand what it is that you have to offer. So when you tell people you own a piece of multiple different coffee shops, it kind of changes their perception of you. Uh, mm. It really shouldn't, but you know, if you if you if you in Rome do what the Romans do sometimes, and before <laughs> people will take advice from your business advisor, sure. they often want to see sure. what do you have. You know, sure. um, uh, yeah. even the Bible says you will know them by their fruit. So um, what are the fruits mm, of the yeah. that show? You know, just as result. Indeed, yes.
1: indeed, and I like I, agree I, I like what that. you are saying, um, because we 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 run a property stock fell, and sometimes mm. when we speak about our greater vision of owning uh, real estate to the value of two hundred and fifty million in the next five years, sometimes you don't really have the clear clear how you're gonna get there and you know there are all sorts of ways of cutting up this pie i really like what you just said okay then yeah. wow. i don't know about you i am so full i'm actually <laughs> excited about this, this 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 podcast it's so fresh and refreshing
0: It is. Hey, it's incredible. I have one last question for Lester though. Actually, maybe Mm. two. (laughs) Mm -hmm. If you'll just indulge us Lester, this is beyond, like I didn't, I didn't expect this to be so juicy and you're giving us Mm. such incredible details. What are some of the challenges that you guys have learned about setting up a coffee shop? So you mentioned that the first two years is trial and error. and I believe this yeah. is why in business, like if you look at most entrepreneurs, it takes even the entrepreneurs once, most and ent- we talk a lot now about quantum leaps in the coaching space and all that, and the idea is that, oh, you start a business and your business makes a lot of money. But what I've done when I've delved deeper, delved deeper into a lot of entrepreneur' stories, is that, before they started the current business that quantum leaped and started making lots of money from the jump, they have like two or three failed businesses before that, you know. Mm. So they were cost correcting for like five years. Then they started this one business and it started to make lots of money. And they're not talking about the first five years of failure and learnings and all that came into that, and even seven to ten years. So Please tell us about the stuff that you've learned and the challenges that uh, you guys have had and what you've learned from those that is helping you then now grow at such a quicker pace, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah. So when we learn we tend to learn more from our failures than we do from our successes because when we fail we tend to do more introspection we ask why did it not work was it the location was it the staff that we had was it me as the manager was i too lenient was i too hard was my staff turnaround too high you know so did i not keep my pulse or did i not did i not keep my finger on the pulse so when you go through certain failures and we were fortunate enough to fail early because when you fail early the failure is not that big in most cases if you fail after five years years and you've invested not only physical cash, but you've invested a lot of sweat equity into the business as well, then the cost tends to be a lot greater. And because Mm. we kind of want to diversify and go so rapid so early, uh, we kind of failed quite often and it's the frequent small failures that allows us to do that introspection and learn from all of those things when things didn't go the way we wanted to go, and it allowed us to pivot, it allowed us to look, it allowed us to ask ourselves some questions, and when we asked ourselves those questions, someone once said that if you can clearly identify what the problem is, 50% of the solution is already provided, so in this game of a year, we needed to look at who's the right service providers, who is the right stakeholders to bring on board. I mean, for the longest time, I was kind of spread thin with regard to overseeing operations, new store setup, making sure that the staff was doing what they're supposed to be doing, identifying the best locations, doing the marketing, doing the sales of the franchise, then also from a business support perspective, doing the administration, doing the human resources and the financial management. And it got to a point where I got inefficient. And Uh because of that... See, you know the business started struggling but I also had this habit and this fear that if I let go of some of these functions no one would be able to do it as well as I can
0: uh-huh.
2: <laughs> yeah when I first had to let go and um, because it got to a point where I was overwhelmed and I was drowning and I wasn't seeing my kids and my wife and as often as I would like to I, eventually when I sat with um, one of my partners and um, was a silent partner at the time and he's a charter accountant he actually said listen I'm rolling my sleeves up. I want to take this off your plate so that you can do what you do. Now, part of my core skill set is business development, which is sales and marketing. And I always felt that in this industry, you need a big personality because it's a a personality-driven industry. Mm. I always felt that I... Be at the forefront, dealing with customers, dealing with suppliers, adding my my charm to the to the to the transaction, <laughs> so they could go a bit smoother, go a bit easier. But then also because I'm involved in operations, I'm involved in business development and business support. Um, I needed to um, actually let go of certain things. And when I say let go of it, I mean I look at one of my competitors, for example. I'm not going to mention their name uh, for the purposes of uh, CPA, <laughs> um, but they started as three different business partners. A lot of people might know will I'm talking about. They started yeah. with three. And because there are three, they could share that accountability. They could share that load. In my case, I was the only one. And when I brought on someone as an operations manager, I'm still accountable. I mean, um, in management, you are taught that you can delegate your responsibility, you can delegate authority, but you can never delegate accountability. If anything goes wrong, as the owner of the business, it always comes back to me. So what I did is I actually gave 20% of the business away, which is a substantial amount to give away. But I gave this away to a partner who was actually my mentor and now he runs the operations far better than i could have done it when i was doing oh, it wow it started falling in place quite nicely it allowed me to focus on my core functions my skill set my gift which was selling franchises which was positioning the brand so that the right people can come on board dealing with the needs of our franchisees understanding who they are what their needs are what they want to achieve through this process so that it can add real value. And the thing in business is if you're not adding real value and you're only using this as an opportunity to load your own pockets, it's going to be short-lived. Chances are you will make the mm. money, but if you're not adding value, it's not going to be a long-term sustainable business model. So that was that was one of the biggest stresses that I've had. And the way I've overcome it was just to share. And I would rather own 60% of a business that is doing well than 100% of a business that is struggling, that is building. Business- learning me out there, not allowing yes. me to see family. Yeah. So I think yeah. that was the struggle.
1: Yeah. Mm. I love that. I loved it a Same. lot, a lot.
0: Wow. Mm. Yeah. Oh, well, and I'm- I think you've, yeah, you've answered my last question, uh, Lester, because my final question was going to be who's on your team, but you've just, who's on your core team, but you've just told yep. us it's your mentor. And, yep. um, do you mind sharing who your mentor is? I know who your mentor is.
2: Oh, yeah, no, no, no that, that, that's Nigel, Nigel Adrianza. So, I mean, he's my host. Oh,
0: okay. Intro.
2: And then, um, so Paul's completely taken over operations now, and he's, he, he's doing a damn good job at that. And yeah. then uh, Mervyn, uh, he's now taken over business support. So from a family, well he's an accountant, so that skill set suits him quite well. And he's also a lot more focused, and he, has, he, he pays more attention to detail, as most accountants do. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas I'm more macro, more visionary, more head in the clouds and looking yeah. at phase five, phase six, owning properties. <laughs> at um, someone once said, and this is a guy I follow, um, he said that South Africa is one of the best countries to start an international business. Because you're yeah. growing a business in tall grass, um, often you don't have guys that are looking at what it is you are doing, trying to outmuscle you early on. By the time they see you, it's too late, so you kind of come competing with him at that level already. So mm. by the time you kind of go into the first world countries and by the time, because there is a plan to go into the New Yorks and to the Zurichs and to the Netherlands and to the Brisbans and to the Oslo's, there is a plan. It's not an overnight plan. It's something that's going yeah. to take a good few years, but we want, to, we want to lay a strong foundation in Cape Town and PE and Johannesburg first. And then thereafter, my rugby coach always told me, you execute the basics well and you earn the right to go wide or you earn the right to get fancy. So we're still busy oh, with the basement wow. at this point over here.
0: Wow. I love, love the sounds of this. Love it. I do. I do <laughs> yeah.
1: too. Well, this is great, uh, Lester. Thank
0: you so, so much for this. Um, thank you. Ben, I'm sure. cool. Yes. Thank you very much, Lester. So we're going <laughs> to move on to the next segment of the show, you guys. Fantastic. On to the next segment of our show, Magical Feedback from our hosts, where our hosts share their three takeaways from today's episode. So guys, we're back at um, Magical Feedback. And as usual, Vizo is going to start us off with her takeaways.
1: Okay, I like this. I like this very much. So Lester has shared with us um, a model of using um, um, leasing, right? Um, Leasing a property or leasing someone else's coffee shop or restaurant and turning it into his franchise, the Cop Cafe. Really love this model because rental arbitrage is a thing. You can run a business on a piece of property without owning it and paying a set fee for that rental and 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 carry on with your business one day when you want to leave you leave the property and it has been well maintained and it has run a beautiful coffee shop and um his model is that they actually fix it up so that it looks like all their coffee shops um, so for me and it, it it's given a its own uniqueness or something like that. Mm-hmm. I really, really believe in the in the in the in the leasing model and the rental arbitrage model that they are using. So very excited, very excited about this one. That's my number
0: one. What's your takeaway? Mm-hmm. Wow, where to start? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. my takeaway was just how. You know, everyone, as restaurants were shutting down during COVID, it's that whole thing, I think I've mentioned this before, that like within every problem, there's always a solution and there's opportunity, right? So as all this was happening, what Lester saw was an opportunity to A, work with other restaurant owners, but not only that, to also make money himself. So I found that to be extremely um, interesting is that just because things are going pear-shaped doesn't mean that there's no opportunities. You just have to see who needs help and what are some of the solutions that you can provide to others. And then you can make a business model from that. And also just how he started with this business model and then from there just pivoted until it's now what it is, which is this incredible franchise concept. Yeah. And I mean,
1: during COVID, that means he was busy formulating because the business model is only two years old. So the whole of 2020, he spent developing this model that he is selling now. That's incredible, Mm. right? That's very incredible. I like his second takeaway where he said at the end, um, my my second takeaway, he says. He was the admin, the CEO, the marketer, the <gasps> branch of op- the operations. I don't know how many times I've heard this, but the, the very fact that it's repeated by so many entrepreneurs, mm. guys, I think it, it stands out as an important thing, and it gives, me, it gives me time to really take a step back. What are the parts that I really need to let go in my business? Right. This. Mm-hmm. The, what are the parts that I need to let go in my business so that this business can grow? The very fact that you can, you are able, you have the body and the energy to do everything, doesn't mean you should.
0: Right? Amen. Leave it. Amen. Oh, yes. I love that. Yeah. Yes. Can I yes. piggyback on the on that takeaway mm. and say, on top of that takeaway, my second takeaway is what he said about. He'd rather own 60% of something than 100% of nothing. I remember in business school, our lecturers would always say that, that you can, if you're finding that you can't make the business grow on your own, give away a part of the business because at least it's better to have a piece of the pie than to have nothing on the table, you know, no pie, nothing. And I think this is a huge huge thing that sometimes we don't, we want to do it all on our own but then it stalls and we don't have much of anything to begin with
1: yeah i
0: like that also
1: 10% of a billion rent company you know is makes you think right yes it really yes. really makes you think so i yeah so we need to be thinking about that righty. There's another takeaway, my last takeaway, not because it's the last takeaway. I wrote so many things. <laughs> it's always so, so hard. But here's my last takeaway. Um, Lester doesn't even make a big deal about the fact that he's not a big reader. But he has mm. found a way of reading then.
2: For me, I
1: think yeah. Sometimes we can be. I'm a nerd, and I tell everybody that. Give me a book, then I thrive. You know, you give <sighs> me TV, I fall asleep. But it doesn't necessarily mean everybody learns only from books. He has found a way of doing yeah. that, and there is a website that gives you summary of the most incredible books, and we can go and just buy the summary of those books. If you want to read Rich Dad, you are dead. Okay, sure. You read it in 20 minutes, 23 minutes. I'm sure you have got an attention span that that can hold that long. So I I really like that takeaway that, Mm. guys, people do learn. If there's one thing you're never going to get away from is you've got to learn, right? And find a way of learning. Find your own way of learning. And he has. So take
0: that. Take that. Yeah. Yeah. So I I just love yeah. that takeaway, right? I think yeah. also just using Audible. When I started with the real estate, yeah. when we started the podcast, a lot of the real estate books that I that I read, I I would like half read and then I'd be like, oh, whatever. And I'd do Audible and then I'd read some yeah. Audible, you know? So I read, I didn't, I listened to a lot of those. And then the ones that I was like this, I need to get better at this. I would mark the chapter and go then read the actual chapter because I didn't get it properly on Audible. So guys, there are many ways to do that. Thanks for talking about that, Nizor. Yeah. 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 And then my final takeaway is (laughs) not because it's the final, but it's also just, um, how, he, how Lester said, you know, not everybody is an entrepreneur. And let's be honest, we are doing this property podcast, but property is not for everyone. And not everybody gets joy from investing in property, right? <laughs> it's that we have learned through the property stock file that there are so many other things that we don't even know that go on in the development space, right? Yeah. And that it's not always cut and dry su- a success. So there is no harm in choosing a different model of wealth creation and trying a yeah. different model. And yeah. I personally am just like, wow, you want to tell me that the franchise model has a 24% yield per annum? That is oh, wild. Yeah. Right. And Mm. when you cut, when you add the fact, when you factor in that in another two years, you can own another store and then you'll be making double that amount. So in another three, uh, by the third year, you can end up owning three stores and making 30,000 from just one investment of 450,000. We're now talking a different ball game, right? It's, it's crazy. It
1: is crazy. I love that. Yeah. I really, really love that. And I, I, oh, I'm I, so glad you raised that because much as there are 15 strategies or more mm. of property investing, there are people who swear never to invest in property. They've got their primary house and they will mm. buy exchange-traded funds. They will invest in shares. Mm. They will do whatever else. So find your poison. Find your poison. I still like real estate. And like I say, there's opportunity for rental arbitrage. You can always rent to rent, rent to run a business, rent to do whatever on a piece of property. So,
0: definitely incredible. I love this so much. So, without further ado, let's move on to the next segment of the show. Now, on to the journey to magical expansion where we ask our guests the same five questions we ask every guest. So guys, welcome to the Journey to Magical Expansion. This is the part of the show where we ask our guests the same questions on every show. As usual, Misa is going to kick us off.
1: Huh? Love this question. Um, oops. Okay, so Lester, tell me... Do you have a favorite book that changed your life? It can be a business book. It can be a fable story. It can yeah. be a book in real estate.
2: You know, I must be honest with you. I was the slowest reader in my class. So um, I actually wrote my own book a couple of years ago called What Do Expect When You Get Self-Employed? Sure. And the book took me about a year to write, but it's only 128 pages. So um, okay. I was inspired. Yeah, I was inspired to write my own book because I only read one other book, which my then girlfriend, now wife, introduced me to at the time, which was the yeah. Rich, Dad, Rich Dad book by Robert Kiyosaki. Okay, <laughs> uh, alright.
1: <laughs> and yours is called what?
2: <laughs> uh, what to expect when going self-employed.
0: Oh my oh, gosh, yeah. and I, I would love I'm, to read
2: actually, that. Yeah, I'm actually in the process of writing a second one now called The Biggest P in Business. So a uh, bit of a controversial title, but uh, the P stands for Process, Passion, Perseverance, Pandemic, um, the theme of oh. the book. Because I mean, oh, my surname starts with a P. At work, uh, my my nickname is Mister P. So um, okay. I'm not the smallest of guys. So the title <laughs> has itself to a variety of different interpretations.
1: You do have an unfortunate surname as well. So I it. Laugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh my gosh! So, um, let's what kept you inspired. <laughs>
2: Um, I have three kids all under seven years old I have a beautiful wife that is constantly motivating me and telling me that she wants to go on a tropical island holiday so that motivates me but what inspires me is when I actually reach certain milestones and I come home and I share that news with them and it's such a magical moment so that is the inspiration I draw from and also you know um, being you know a bit of a role model to other people that feel that they are in certain phases of their life where this is not meant for me. And I came from nothing, and I was able to reach certain milestones by, by grace. Sure. And you know, now uh, I, I draw from the inspiration that I kind of, I kind of received, and I try to pass it on to other people as well.
1: Sure, mm. love that, love that. Yeah. Are there any lessons in your past that um, you feel like? well, I should have known this. I wish someone had told me this before I started in business
2: or before I bought a piece of property. What, what are those? So my, my, my regret might be someone else's opportunity. And I, I, I've actually come to the conclusion that, you know, it doesn't matter how much advice you give someone. It doesn't matter how much you can share with someone People need to make their own mistakes. People need sure. to, I mean, even with your kids. I was listening to Kevin O'Diaries podcast now the other day, and he said that he never de risks his kids, he never puts them in positions where they are not exposed to risk because. Risk. we. Oh, I love that. With- yeah you know, we grow from risks we grow from our mistakes because the mistakes forces us to do introspection it forces us mm. to ask questions and my experience might be very different to someone else's experience and they might completely avoid the mistakes that I've made but there's a very high chance that they'll still end up making their own mistakes anyway so don't fear oh, the t- mistakes lean into it you know and go through Ooh, it because man. Uh, I believe that mistakes is it's designed to take you up, not take you out. Unfortunately, some people don't make it past their mistakes and we've seen that. But if you if you have the ability to persevere and if you have the ability to push through when everything is resistant, then you are a true entrepreneur. If not, then you know, maybe consider sticking to what it is you are doing. There's nothing wrong with saying entrepreneurship is not for you. There's nothing wrong in saying property mm. investment is not for you. But if you don't have the grit, if you don't have the ability to persevere when things get a little bit tough, then stick to what you are doing. You know, there's no shame in that.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. Amen. That's Amen. So to I, got- <laughs> <laughs> I love this. Um, so, um, Lester, what do you think you still need to learn in terms of maybe property or business or the convergence of both?
2: I, I think there's a lot that needs to be learned. And the older we get, we don't realize what we don't know, you know, um, mm-hmm. there's there's difference between oblivion and confusion when you're confused you're aware that there's a problem and you're trying to kind of find the solution to the problem but when you're oblivious and not in the negative sense but when you're oblivious you don't know that you need to learn something and the older you get the more challenges you start experiencing and facing you realize I need to learn how to overcome this. I need to learn what I need to acquire to get through this thing. So uh, I can't say what I still need to learn because, you know, as I conquer this phase of my life, I'll go into a new challenge in the next phase. And um, I don't know the skills that I'll need to learn at that point. I mean, when I started in business, I started making and selling candles. I didn't think that I'd own coffee shops and own properties at the latest stage, but, um, from a, from a functional and practical aspect um, of where I am now I'm a lazy reader um, from an accounting perspective I find it extremely tedious and uh, what I now do is I either delegate or outsource because if I'm going to try to do these things I'm not only going to do it at a substandard quality but I'm also going to take a lot longer and it's going to drain sure. me um, as opposed to focusing on the things that I'm good at and the things that energize me
1: uh, Totally Totally,
2: totally. Mm. That's such a good thing to say.
1: And Lester, are there any tools um, or business media that you would like to send our listeners to? What is your, their favorite podcast or YouTuber um, that you would like them to go to um, after listening to you?
2: And so, when, where um, can they yeah. So there's there's, there's this copy I have, and and I actually want to email it to you guys, so you're welcome to pass it and distribute it onto your listeners. It's a a book, or it's not a book, it's a list of books that kind of helps you really clarify what it is you want to achieve this year with regards to your goals and settings and all those sorts of things. Um, That's the first thing. Um, If you're lazy to read like me, what I do is I I watch the summarized version on YouTube (laughs) 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 because it gives me more than enough. But then uh, I also I also wrote this program uh, called the 21 Day Hibernation Process because they say it takes 21 days to form a habit, and it also takes 21 days to break a habit. So this is a program that. Tasks you to do something every single day for 21 days until it becomes habitual. And the point yeah. of it is to start changing the mentality and thinking of people to think like an employer instead of an employee. So I'm mm. happy to pass that on to you and you can share that with your listeners that as well. Nice. That, mm, would
0: nice. that would be so nice. Thank you.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. Sure.
0: So, Lester, when you came on this show, you had an intention. Can you please share the intention with us? And then, how do people get hold of you? Because I just know there's someone that's, like, done the yield now, gotten the calculations, and they're like, yeah, this may be my thing for now, you know?
2: sure sure so the intentions was to raise awareness um while firstly about corp cafe but also to inspire your people because i mean I, I didn't come i mean as you mentioned you said it beautifully earlier we're not trust fund babies and uh, yeah. we've had to work for what it is we we've kind of achieved at this point of the year and then mm-hmm. let me just say this um yeah I, I listen to some of your podcasts and i i see the way you guys conduct these interviews and everything and it's absolutely amazing. it's really beautifully put together and you guys are just so amazing but um, my my intentions of coming Mm -hmm. onto this podcast was one to raise awareness for the corp cafe brand and if people want to get hold of us they can go to corpcafe.co.za. if you'd like to get Mm -hmm. more information about the brand about where we are the website is undergoing some changes so please keep that in mind it is dated we still have the first website we initially used when we started the brand now that we're going into more corporate kind of feel that will change so that's just that one disclaimer and also to, to, to inspire listeners that are out there that feels that, listen, you know maybe entrepreneurship is not for me. Maybe property investment is not for me. Um, my credit record's not right. My suburb isn't right. My experience isn't right. I mean, there are so many people that have so many things to share that come from nothing, sure. that use nothing but the will and the grit, and they've made a success of themselves. So, I mean, if I can do it, then I was the slowest reader in my class and i managed to achieve certain things in life. Um, how many other people that are much smarter than I was when I was their age, how many people that are much smarter than I am now uh, can achieve far more than I have within a short time period?
1: Hmm. Wow, and this Cop Cafe beautiful. is spelled with a C, all of both yeah. of them, C-O-R-P-C-H-F-E. Wow.
2: Very good. I it. And um, how do you... Uh, I need to send send you, um, both of you, uh, some of our coffee pods so you guys can taste what our coffee tastes like. Oh, that would
0: be lovely. So how do people email you if they are interested? Say someone has listened to this and is like, I really want to have a conversation around owning a coffee shop. I mean, like, even I'm like, wow, this seems like such a great idea.
2: Mm. <laughs> so, so there's an easy way from, from a coffee shop perspective you can email admin uh, mm-hmm. short for administration admin at corpcafe.co.za if they mm-hmm. want to deal with me directly and personally they are welcome to send me an email as well my email address is fairly easy it's Lester which is my name at Lester Philander, which is my name and surname .co.za so that's Lester okay. at Lester .co.za that's awesome
1: that's awesome. Lester, yeah. you've been such a blessing. You've been such a blessing. This is yeah. really exciting. This, this podcast thank does its own thing. <laughs> thank you. Right. Thank you Thanks so much. Yeah. Thank
0: you so much, Lester. And thank you once more, Property Magicians. Thank you to the Property Magic Stockfile, Property Magician Stockfile that we are sponsored by. Um, we, we are in the process of... <laughs> Mm-hmm. Re, I don't know what we call it, but re-looking at the stock file. So we are model. not telling you guys at the stock file model. So we're not talking about our next deal just yet. We will do a podcast on that, but we are sponsored by the Property Magician Stock file. So if you are interested in the stock file, definitely go check out wealthy-money.com forward slash stock all the details on how to join the Stockfell and how to join Stockfeller are on there. How to join the Stockfell via the Stockfella app. Everything is on there. So thank you, Mizo. Thank you, listeners. We'll see you guys in the next episode. Thank Thanks, you, guys. Ben. Have a good day,
1: Lester. Thank you for honoring uh, your appointment.
0: Sure. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for listening, Property Magicians. My name is Vangilia Makwakwa and I am your host on the show. I help people heal their ancestral money stories so that they can fall in love with their their bank accounts, become financially free and live their best lives. So if you would love to increase your income or you'd love to pay off your debts and increase your savings contact me. You can contact me on the Wealthy Money website at wealthy-money.com. Again, wealthy-money.com. Or you can email me at vangile at wealthy-money.com. Again, vangile at wealthy-money.com. Find me on Facebook on the Wealthy Money group or on the Wealthy Money page or find me on Twitter and Instagram as Vangile Makwakwa. Now over to my co host
1: Thank you for listening. I'm Dr. Miranda Prop Doc, Doc Mom on all the social media platforms on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. I'm the host of Property Magicians podcast and I'm a property mentor. I mentor newbie property investors to help them to begin and to take action your journey into property investment begins with me from property registration from property company registration to picking the correct strategy that suits where you are at find me on my inbox at miranda at wealthy money.com again inbox me at miranda at wealthy if you want me to help you start your property journey